Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. A lot of times I think listeners might wonder, well, how does Father Edward find his guests? And it's a good question, and you probably know this because I say this a lot when I begin our interviews, but sometimes it's I'm very curious or I come across someone on social media. Or a lot of times, publishers or publicists will reach out to me, and so that's a lot of times how you get your content. But uh, one time, I took out an ad in a little booklet for the Catholic Writers Guild as one of the sponsors uh, of the little conference they were having down in Chicago. And so basically, I said, if you're interested in having a podcast interview, happy to interview you. And uh And so one person reached out to me, and her name is Katie Crowley, and she is the author of the book, Stepping Up, How Christ Turned My Pain and Suffering into Hope and Joy. And that was a a return then on that investment that I made in advertising for the Catholic Writers Guild, and uh, happy to connect with another Catholic writer. And I think her story is one that really will resonate with us during the season of Lent. Throughout the season of Lent, there's that sense of suffering, maybe through the individual penances that we take on, or as we focus on the suffering of Jesus. And so Katie has suffered a little bit in her young adult life, and she's going to share that story with us today. So thanks so much, Katie, for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Um, I Yeah, I did um, attend that conference for the first time and um, loved the experience and, and got to um, meet a lot of great people. And then I happened to like reflect back and I was like, yeah, I was like, I'd love to like keep this um, momentum going and no pun intended, that was the name of the conference momentum. And so I was like, yeah, like, let me reach out, see what we can do. And so I really appreciate you letting me on this show. But yes, my book is all about redemptive suffering. Um, not a topic I would have picked for myself, but um, I guess the Holy Spirit picked it for me. <laughs> Definitely. And, you know, you're a young person. You describe yourself as a Catholic millennial. And I'm just wondering, who is Katie Crowley? Yeah, absolutely. So at the time um, that I wrote, well, I guess my accident, I was age 24. I'm I'm almost 28 now, um, coming up pretty quick, a birthday. But um, yeah, so at the time, um, before I was in a bad car accident. So before that point, um, I would say I was working on a graduate degree. Um, I was working at a marketing agency as a project manager. Um, I was a competitive dancer in high school and, and a year in college. So I, you know, continued, um, to place exercise and working out and being active as a high priority in my life. Um, yeah, so I would say I lived a very normal, full life, um, but unfortunately a bad accident kind of altered the the path I was on. And, and I would say today it's, um, I'm back to who I am, but, but different in a way. Um, I have a different perspective on life, especially for someone in their 20s. You know, I oftentimes feel as though I'm 80 years old at times with where I'm at versus where my peers are at. Um <laughs> with this, with the spiritual life in particular. Um, but yeah, so live a full life, um, work a great job and can be active, but not quite in the same way as I was before. Um, so that's kind of me in a nutshell. Tell me a little bit then about that incident then that really changed the trajectory of your life. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I was um, 24 at the time and I was um, just driving home early from work that day and um, took the same route. And I had lived in the same community literally my whole life. I'm from Peoria, Illinois, and um, was driving home. It was a clear and sunny day. And, you know, for most of the drive, it was just a normal day. And then all of a sudden it was not um, another car. Um turned around and kind of went off routing and um, came toward me and I ended up losing control of the vehicle um, and rolling approximately three times. I, I say that because it's not like I was exactly counting as I was rolling, but um, approximately that much. Um, I was alert and conscious the whole time, but I had excruciating pain and was praying and um, thought it was my time to go because it was, well, one, terrifying, and two, the pain was excruciating. And so I was like, this is it. This is the end of my life. Um, but it actually wasn't. I, I landed kind of facing the oncoming traffic, and um, the ambulance was called for me, and I was taken to um, my local Catholic trauma hospital. What is going through your mind as this accident is going to happen? You're probably seeing it as it's going to happen. And you're like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And uh, what was going through your mind and uh, maybe even during the experience? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, the first thought was just like you said, was terror. In a way, it felt like slow motion, um, like time was like kind of at a standstill, but at the same time happening rapidly, um, kind of hard to describe. But my first thought initially was to pray, which I know um, was definitely divinely inspired. Um, and I definitely feel like the Holy Spirit uh, inspired me or perhaps my guardian angel, but I actually was praying as my car was rolling. And um, I read about this in my book, but my prayer was, um, Jesus, please forgive me. And I said that repetitively and again and again and again as I was rolling because I was blanking on the act of contrition. And I just wanted him to know that I was so sorry for my sins and any sins I had committed because I, I thought I was going to be facing judgment. And so um, that was my prayer. So as I was praying that prayer, I was also thinking simultaneously that I was just really going to miss my family. And I was also sad that I was never going to get married um, as that was something that I've always wanted. And so kind of the loss of like letting go of my family and my potential vocation while having God at top of mind and, and wanting to be repentive was all happening in a matter of seconds, but it felt like several minutes to me. Did you grow up in an overly religious family? Was faith a part of your life? Um, definitely not overly religious. <laughs> my family is Catholic, so on both sides, my parents are married, and um, I was raised in the Catholic faith, and, and both sides of the family um, practice the faith for the for the most part, I would say. Um, but over overly religious, no. I mean... Going to Mass every Sunday was definitely like a priority, but as far as being extremely devout, I would say no. Um, not that people are bad or anything like that, but it's not like, um, you know, there was like family rosary night every night or, you know, um, weekly confession or, or weekly adoration. You know, it was not 
um, it was a part of our lives and it was never, um, it was always like shown in a positive light, but definitely not in a extremely active or vigorous way, if that makes sense. You have this experience of the accident, bystanders called 911, emergency personnel are dispatched. And I'm sure this is probably an experience that you've never had before. You've probably not been hospitalized all that much in your life or had to be in an ambulance. So what's that experience like for you as you're taking it all in and of course suffering all at the same time? Yeah, that's a very good point. It was a, it was kind of a wild experience because yeah, I mean, I had really never been exposed. I never had, um, I've never broken a bone um, prior to that. I had never had any sort of like sickness. So I mean, the only like exposure was a doctor's office, which is, you know, not the same thing. Um, my mom actually was um, a pediatric intensive care nurse for like 20 years. And so she like I had heard stories from her because she would um, do life fly and fly in helicopters or ambulance rides or be in the hospital. So, I mean, I always heard different hospital stories, I guess, and, and miracles that would happen. Um, but also sad situations, you know, of, of loss and things. So I had heard a lot about, um, you know, the medical environment from her, but personally had never experienced anything like it. And so as it was unfolding, um, yeah, just a lot of, um, a lot of questions, a lot of confusion, a lot of fear, um, because at this point I have like pain burning. My entire body feels like it's on fire. And especially um, where my, I had broken bones were just, it was just searing. And I had never ever felt that level of pain before. So it was hard. My mind was going from, I mean, the pain was mainly what I was focusing on, but like trying to pray, even though it was like really difficult, but then also like seeing, you know, the ambulance workers and people around me and, and the, the bumpy car ride, you know, I think it was only, you know, a pretty quick ride. It was probably like, I don't know, a 10 minute ambulance ride. I'm not sure, but it felt like eternity. And so, yeah, just like not understanding what's exactly going on and, certain like um, medical workers throughout the whole experience were very like reassuring. And then others were very opposite of that, you know, um, added a lot of anxiety and fear to the experience. So yeah, it was a lot going on all at once. And at the same time, still not knowing if I was going to make it because I was like coughing up um, a lot of blood and I ended up having contused lungs. Um, and so I didn't know what that meant. I thought maybe I could still die. I wasn't sure. While the accident was happening and in the aftermath of it, you pray that prayer, Lord, forgive me. Did you seek out the sacrament of reconciliation in the emergency room? Did you want to make everything right with God just in case? Yeah, it's funny that you that you say that because yeah, I did. As soon as I had like kind of gotten um my initial like um assessment, but they hadn't told me yet like what was wrong with me, but like they were, you know, starting an IV and um, you know, switching me into a hospital gown and like, you know, doing their whole thing. Um I had a moment and I was like, I need a priest because I think, and then a lady, um, I don't know if she was a nurse. I don't know who she was, but she was like, we have um, a pastor here to see you. And I was like, 
is this a Catholic hospital? Like I need a Catholic priest. And then she was like, well, yeah, we, we do have one, but the pastor's like right outside. And I was like, I'm sure he's a lovely man, but I need last rites. And I was like, he can't do that for me. And I need a priest like now. And like the, she looked a little startled, <laughs> you know, but she turned around and like, you know, um, went and got the priest. And uh, so he came in and he's like, what do you need? Um, I heard you want last rites. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm sorry. I'm like, you know, coughing up blood. I'm in like total agony, like pain everywhere. Like, yes, I want last rites. Like I <laughs> am not doing well. <laughs> and uh, so anyways, he kind of was like, well, you know, I'm, it's technically ending my shift, but like here, I'll, I'll give you last rites. So he gave it to me, but it was not exactly the most, um, comforting experience so that's where you have to trust the grace present versus the the personality of the individual and later on um a few days later when my um actual two like parish priests like both of them came to visit me and i had asked um one of them to uh father brian to give me last rites again because i was like i it was so chaotic when it was like at the initial point. Um, and so I was like, can I please have it again? And so he gave it to me again, which was really nice. What was the road to recovery? What was that path like? Did he have to have surgeries? How long uh, was this experience of suffering present uh, in your life? Yeah, so I was in the hospital for 11 days. I did have surgery um, on my knee and my ankle. Um, my elbow and collarbone healed on their own and, um, kind of a couple minor things like a toe and a finger, uh, you know, healed on their own as well. Um, so my knee was the worst injury that I had, but also had to have some help on the ankle. Um, I was in a wheelchair for a while, um, and then crutches and I couldn't walk without like braces or assisted devices of any sort for a full year. So it took me a year to just like get on my feet, literally, and then really a second year of um, what I call going back to normal life where I can stand and talk, you know, to somebody for 15 minutes and like it's fine or um, reaching down to like get stuff off the ground or just like minute movements that like you don't think about as an adult um, until you can't do them. So it was really um, and I had a lot of physical therapy for that, that whole, um, first year. Um, so it was a very rigorous schedule of learning how to walk again, but then to get back to closest to normal as I could be, um, was really at two years in total. And this was an experience of pain and suffering in the immediacy of the moment, but I'm sure that pain and suffering endured, of course, as you were confined to the wheelchair, as you were using crutches. There's always this reminder of that incident, that event that happened. And I guess, what's your take on redemptive suffering then? Was that something, this idea of offering your pain to the Lord for a petition and uh, really making it a prayer. Was that something you employed in your spiritual life? It was, but it was very hard for me. So I also, um, for anyone that's going through it, you know, you hear that concept maybe talked about as, as a kid in passing or um, maybe a random homily or maybe, you know, it. but it doesn't really sink in until it's you. And it's like, what am I actually going to do? So I got a little bit of spiritual direction from, 
Father Hennehan, my my parish priest, and he really explained to me the concept and not really the concept, the actual reality of redemptive suffering of, and he told me practically how to do it. And he was like, you know, you really have two ways to go here. You can either turn away from God and just get bitter and feel sorry for yourself. Or he's like, you can turn this into a prayer and really deepen your relationship with God. And some practical things he said was like, pick someone each day to like offer up your pain and suffering for. Cause then he's like, when, when you hit those low moments where it's very difficult, you can think of that person and then benefiting spiritually from your pain. Um, also just, um, the Eucharist was, um, was an anchor to me. Um, my Deacon Roger and his wife were my eighth grade confirmation teachers and they brought me communion every Sunday until I was strong enough to go back to mass. That gave me great strength. Saying the rosary also was a huge element. Um, a lot of times I couldn't say it because to be honest, it was, I had so much pain. It took too much mental concentration. So I would just listen to it. Um, or one of my parents would like pray it next to me. And so these like spiritual graces gave me that strength to face the next day because it's really hard when days and days and weeks and months go by and you literally see no progress and you're like, okay, well, I'm praying and I'm trying to have a good attitude and I'm working hard at physical therapy, but nothing seems to be better. And I'm just like, does God not care? Does God not listen to me anymore? Is he, is he really like, has he abandoned me in this time? Because it just feels like nothingness. So I think I really learned that one, you have to choose to continue to pray even when you don't see the results you want or even when it doesn't feel like anything's different. Um, but trusting that he, if you're praying and you're saying like, Lord, I offer this to you, that he's using it. And then the rest is like in his hands. So it's, it's action and surrender back and forth. And um, he really taught me how to do that well over the course of those two years and still to today. Um, but it's not easy. It's not easy to do that. But through his grace, you can get there. And then I would think that there needs to be this moment of forgiveness, too, because I'm willing to bet that maybe you had some hard feelings towards uh, the individual <laughs> who caused this accident and any other parties mm -hmm. that might be involved. So did you walk that path to forgiveness and uh, did it take you a while to be able to say, I forgive this person for the wrong that they've done, for the hurt that they've caused me? Yeah, that was really, really tough. Um, very difficult for me. I That took... I don't, I don't even want to put a timeline on it, but let's just say it was not a quick, <laughs> quick experience of, of getting to that point where I can say, like, I forgive you and like, like tell Jesus, like, I forgive this, this person. Um, it was very difficult because for the longest time, of, of course, the other party did not have, you know, even a, a scrape. So it was hard not to be um, resentful of, well, they have their life and, you know, my life that I had was like taken from me and put on hold and I might not ever get it back. Um, I wasn't sure what my total recovery would look like, um, and how much to normal I would get to. Um, so yeah, it was difficult. It took a ton of prayer. I mean, 
it was not me because if it were up to me, I couldn't do it. Like, and this, this was a prayer of like, of like, Lord, like I want to forgive this person because I know you want me to, and you call me to this, but like, it's very, very difficult and it's very, very hard. And like, you're going to have to give me the grace to do it because I can't. And so even if like, that's the starting prayer of like, you can't, but you like, want to for him then like that prayer can slowly grow and he can work with like the little that you give him and then through more and more prayer and actually like through going to confession and even like saying like like I'm having difficulty in forgiving this person um I just needed a ton of spiritual grace like poured on me and I was able to get there but it's not because I'm great or I just have um a great emotional bandwidth. It was repetitive prayer again and again. And then I could finally, you know, say, you know, I forgive this person. It doesn't make it right, but I don't hold it against them. And um, I can have peace and freedom now knowing that I've forgiven them. In this whole ordeal, were there any saints that you looked to for inspiration or you heard their story and it just really resonated with you? Yeah, one was St. Rita. So that was actually the day of my accident was her feast day. And so um, learning a little bit more about her and I prayed for her intercession of my healing because she is known for that. And so that was kind of um, a nice plus. Another one was St. Bernadette. She was my confirmation saint. And um, so I was praying also too to her and Our Lady of Lords for healing um, again, just to try to, I was hoping for a miracle and, um, because I'm like, I feel like I really need one because the injuries, the physical injuries were so severe and I, um, again, needed that help. Another one, um, was soon to be hopefully Fulton J. Sheen. Um, hopefully he'll be a saint cause he is from my hometown. So I was praying to him a lot as well. And then, um, our lady, um, quite a bit, um, for her intercession. So I, I kind of asked a lot of people <laughs> for some help because I was like, you know, I really feel like I, um, need a team of people to be praying for me along with people, um, here. I had multiple family members and actually multiple churches, even some non-Catholic churches put me on, um, their prayer list. And I was just like, I need as many people praying for me as possible because this is not easy. This is not something that I understand, like why me? And so I just need a lot of prayer to get me through this tough time. And and it helped and made a huge difference. Why did you feel called to write this book and to share your story? Because I'm sure there are lots of people who've had maybe a similar experience, but they they weren't inspired to write a book and to share life lessons that they've learned through the process. But you were, and I'm willing to bet that that's God inspiring you, of course. But uh, what compelled you to actually sit down and start typing and uh, writing out this story? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually had no desire to write a book, which should <laughs> should go to show that it's like um, divinely inspired because I, I actually – um, had no desire to do that. Even though I am, I guess, a writer by trade, I 
um, actually wanted to forget about this whole thing. And I was like, I don't want to talk about this. I want to pretend like it didn't happen. I want to just like get back to my life. And, um, but that's kind of selfish, but anyways, that's where I was. Um, but for, um, a few weeks in a row, um, I would go and visit my, my Nana with my mom and, um, like on Sundays and she told me for a few weeks in a row, you should write a book. And I was like, you're joking. Like, haha, that's funny. And she's like, no, like, I think you should really write a book and like share your stories. And I think you can like help people through suffering when they see the practical and the spiritual together. Like, I think you can really help people. And I was like, you know, I was like, well, that just seemed kind of overwhelming. And I was like, I don't know how to write a book. I was like, that's just kind of random. But she said that for a few weeks. And then um, one day I, um, this was like in March of 2020 now. And so I had not quite hit a year, but a good chunk of time had gone by and close to the year. And, um, I got the notification that I was getting let go from my marketing contract. So during COVID, um, they didn't know the marketing agency I was working for. I had gotten like really reduced hours because with my PT schedule, I just could not keep up like um, much of a workload, but they worked with me well, which was very nice. Um, but I had minimal hours I was working for them. So they're like, well, we don't know what's happening with this pandemic. So we're sorry, but like, we're going to have to like, let you go. And like, maybe we'll call you back. Maybe we won't like, we don't know. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like now I've lost my job on top of everything else that I'm dealing with. But literally that same day I got um, let go I got a message from Deacon Roger and he was my eighth grade confirmation teacher. And he was sending a message on Facebook messenger saying something to the effect of, have you started writing your book? You have an important story to tell. And I was like, what, what, what's with the book again? And like, I know like he and my Nana, like they're not like friends. They don't talk. Like there's no way like um, they would have known to like say the same thing to me. And so I was like, what a book. And he was like, yeah, like do not like keep the news like hidden. Like you need to like share your story. And like, there was something about getting it from him because um, he had like walked with me through this trial and, you know, kind of out of the blue to me, I mean, probably not out of the blue to God, but to me, I was like, wow, okay, I get let go in the same day. Like he told me to write a book and like the last few weeks, my man has been telling me to write a book. And so I don't know, something just like kind of came over me and I like sat down for three days and like wrote nonstop for three days and it just poured out of me. That's incredible. And as you were writing, is it you were sitting and writing? Did you do voice to text? Like, what was your process of writing? As a fellow author, I'm always curious about how someone goes about writing their book. Yeah, so honestly, it was a combination of like writing by hand, like in like a notebook, and then also um, typing like in a Word document. So I would literally go I would like sit at my computer and like type quite a bit and then I would like stop and it's like, okay, like maybe I'm like done um, for the day. Like I'm kind of like, you know, nothing else is like coming to mind, but then I would like go and get like lunch or something. And then all of a sudden I'd have like these flood of ideas. And so I just like grabbed a piece of paper that was like right next to me and started like writing it all down. So it was like, it was a crazy combination of like writing by hand and typing whatever I had like right next to me. 
and then I eventually like put it all in a, in a word document, but, um, and went from there. But yeah, so it was like, it was just any way to like capture what was just like outpouring. Now the subtitle of your book, Stepping Up, is How Christ Turned My Pain and Suffering into Hope and Joy. So how did you go about finding hope and joy in the midst of this and now afterwards? So yeah, I think ultimately it's the grace of God that gets you through a tough season in life. But there's also hidden blessings along the way that he gives you that can give you that practical um, strength to endure. So, um, you know, the Lord gave me two really great parents. Um, my mom and I, my dad, like never left my side. were always encouraging me and really gave me strength on those difficult days and encouragement on those difficult days, um, to keep going and, and that things would get better. And so that was a huge help, um, along with different people along the way that God sent to, be there when I needed them, not necessarily that I still am like, you know, talk to them all the time now that years have passed. But during those moments, he sends people to help you and to lift your spirits um, during that time. Another example is my friend Randy. So he um, was there at the scene of the accident and he actually like pulled over his car and like ran over to me and like stayed with me and um, until I like got to the hospital safely and everything. And, um, he has been a great person to, that I never knew before, but, um, that was just, again, like such a good positive person to, to encounter during this, this trial. And so it was really good people. And again, if people read my book, there was some negative people I met, um, but I don't really want to focus on that. There was good people that God placed in my life at the right moments to get me through that that difficult time. And, and even still, I think today now, when you look back and you see how maybe your current trial or whatever is currently a struggle for you, if you look back and see like how God was faithful in the past, that can give you encouragement and strength. Um to know that he's going to come through again in, in this avenue or in this, you know, time period of your life because he's been faithful before. So I think it's really, it's prayer. It's like um, asking God to send like those good, right people into your life at different moments. Um, and then just seeing like letting God work, like stepping back and saying like, okay, God, like do something beautiful with this. And and he really has. I mean, I got back to walking. I can go on like 45-minute walks now, and I bicycle. And so I can't do the exercise that I wanted to do or that I used to do, but I can um, do quite a bit. Um, I got a really amazing job. I got a good graduate degree that I thought maybe I would have to quit the program, but um, I was able to graduate. And so there was different blessings along the way, both practical and spiritual that God provided. And he's going to continue to provide in all areas of life. If you let him. You mentioned at the very beginning of our conversation that 
for a 28-year-old or at the time of the accident, 24-year-old, that you had uh, now a different perspective in life and the spiritual life. And I think we can sense a lot of those different perspectives as you talk about God's grace and God providing and all of these things. But uh, what did you mean by that? What are some of those different perspectives? How do you think maybe you're different than one of your peers? Yeah, I would say, well, one, I value um, faith. I mean, sad to say, um, a lot of people I know that are around my age, you know, God's for old people, you know, God's for, or if you need something, you know, like it's for grandma or if like, you know, you need something, but otherwise like life is good. I'm good. I got it. Um, so I think there's that attitude of not, not seeing a need for reliance on God or not seeing when things are going your way or you have blessings in your life that like God is the cause of it. It's not because you're so amazing, but it's because God's giving you these blessings. Um, so I think that's, that's one thing. And then even if you, you know, maybe go to mass sometimes, or, you know, if you're Protestant, you go to church sometimes, um, then it's it's kind of a, a god of convenience, right? So like, if this makes me look good, or if this um, appeases a family member that I go, or if I just want to pray that something goes well in my life. But again, it's kind of conditional faith or um, prayer time. And certainly, when it doesn't behoove you. Um, you know, you're going to choose what the world has to offer because you're young and why not versus for me, it's like God is everything. And so I'm not saying I'm perfect. I am far from that, but I always am trying to keep in the back of my mind, you know, what is God's will for my life? What does God want me to do? How does he want me to treat this person? And again, not saying I execute it perfectly, but it's always at the back of my mind trying to do God's will and not my own. And also, too, as far as um, prayer time, I, I go to weekly adoration most of the time, um, try to hit confession when I can, um, obviously mass um, every Sunday and, and occasionally a weekday. So I really try to, and, and I try to say a daily rosary as well. Again, that's not super common <laughs> for, for people I know in their 20s. Um, but I try to really be rooted in prayer to have the grace to be able to make good choices and to follow God's will. Um, and, you know, just unfortunately, it not everyone is in that same place. A lot of times it takes the lifespan for people to realize that they need God, like God doesn't need you, you need him. And um, I think it takes some people longer than others to, to fully realize that. You've shared this story in your book, Stepping Up, and you mentioned that you got a new job. And so is this a story that you share with the people you work with? Did they know that you had this experience? Or is this something that maybe you don't share as readily, but you will when the time is right? Yeah, I would say it's kind of a mixed bag. So people definitely are aware of my accident. And, you know, I work for a, a secular company, so I have to be careful about my faith, but yet it definitely comes out. Um, <laughs> and so it's, 
it's a fine line balance. So, I mean, I have had some people at work actually read this that like are not Catholic or maybe not even Christian and um, it's really moved them, which has been amazing. And then um, they actually have opened up about their own struggles, whether it be divorce, whether it be a sick kid and they can say, I can take your same themes and apply it to whatever their struggles are, which is, has been amazing and such a, a fruit to see, um, with new people that I meet. Um, they are aware of my car accident. I usually have to tell people like, Hey, like, um, you know, especially if I, like my knee starts flaring up on me, cause sometimes it does. So I have to say like, Hey, like I gotta like sit and rest a second. Um, but as far as the faith journey, I try to share it in small doses when I think people have an openness to hearing it. So I always like look for those opportunities and, and wait for God to present them. Um, usually it's at a time where someone is more discouraged or has um, maybe a frustration um, I try to say, Hey, like, I'll pray for you or, Hey, like, yeah, like maybe you should pray about that decision. Or so I try to interject, um, when I think someone is, is open to it. So it's a delicate balance for sure. And if someone picks up your book, stepping up how Christ turned my pain and suffering into hope and joy, what's the one thing you hope they'll take away from it? I would say have hope in the darkness um, is is what I want people to take away from this, that um, when suffering comes your way, it's not God turning away from you. He's turning towards you, and it's for a greater good. So God does not permit evil um, just because, you know, we have free will, and so evil is a result of that. But he wants to take every evil and turn it into something good and beautiful. And he wants to do that through you. And so you can be that visible representation of him turning a horrible situation into something for his glory. And even though it seems maybe like your problems are, you know, insignificant or, you know, there's no hope or there's there's no getting around whatever it is, but that there is hope in the darkness because God is there and he is working in your life. And so that's what I want to give people through this book. So it's practical and spiritual. Um, you know, how do you practically cope with difficulties? And, and maybe it is counseling, maybe it is exercise, maybe it is things like that, but it also maybe it is like prayer time and maybe it is certain prayers. And so it's a blend. So I take you through my journey, but then ultimately want to lead people to God. Cause I can't, you know, help you with your problems, but God can. And so that's really what I want people to learn. Definitely. And if people want to get a copy of your book, what's the best way that they can go about doing that? Yeah. So the actual like book book um, is on Amazon. And then I also just recently released the audio version. And so you can get that on Audible or Google Play um, and, um, some other ones as well. So if you just search stepping up Katie Crowley, um, you can find it on most of the major platforms. Um, so yeah, I hope people check it out. And people should know Katie is spelled C-A-I-T-I-E. So uh, when I was doing my show prep, I typed in your name wrong and was uh, struggling to find your book in the searches. So that was why. So people should know that. And then <laughs> It confuses people. Yeah. And then uh, do you have a website, social media, if people want to find you uh, on the internet? 
Yeah, absolutely. Send me a message either on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm I'm on all platforms, but those ones um, I'm more familiar with of checking more often, um, especially LinkedIn. So that would be a great way. Um, also, my publisher has my own like website if you um, want to just see like other interviews and things and writings that I've done in the past. Um, and so that's on in route books and media. And if you search Katie Crowley, um, that will come up for you as well. And I'll be sure to link that and put it in the show notes as well. So people will be able to find that and also obtain a copy directly from the publisher. Well, thanks so much, Katie, for reaching out a few months back. And uh, with the interest of sharing your story with my audience, I'm grateful you did, because it really is a story of redemptive suffering. It's a story of God's grace and a story of hope. And I think we need uh, those stories in our lives. So thanks so much. Thank you so much. It's been a blast.